Chapter 4 of Five Mice in a Mousetrap by the Man in the Moon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marcus Locke. Five Mice in a Mousetrap by the Man in the Moon by Laura E. Richards. Chapter 4 Jolly Kalu. Now, is not that a pretty song? And so simple, I should think a baby might understand it and yet Downy did not seem to understand a word of it, though the birds that sang it were just outside his window in the great linden tree. He only said, Oh, so pity bird finging! He cannot say S, so he says F instead, which sounds very funny. And then he rolled out of bed, and then Fluff and Puff rolled out of bed. Puff ran to the window and put back the curtains. The birds were still singing, and the soft May breeze was blowing, and a perfect gust of song and sweetness came in at the little old window as she pushed it open. Oh, lovely, lovely, cried Puff. And look, Fluffy, from this other window. What a fine playground. Oh, Posse, do give us Tubby Rubby quickly and let us go out of the window. Out of the window, cried Mrs. Puffsett. The child is mad. But then she came and looked for herself. Yes, it was indeed a fine place. One part of the house was lower than the rest, and this lower part had a flat roof, covered with gravel, and with an iron railing round it. Two of the nursery windows opened directly on this sunny, flat place, so that it really was a most delightful spot. In a very few minutes, there were three mice tumbling about on the gravel. And then presently there were two more, for other windows opened on the flat roof also, and Nibble and Bright Eyes were not the mice to be behindhand when any fun was going on. Ah, that was the way to get an appetite for breakfast. Jump, dance, run, tumble, till the rattle sounded from below. Then whirr, downstairs all like a flock of pigeons. They never lost any time in getting from one place to another, these mice. Uncle Jack, said Nibble, what shall we call this place? This dear, delightful place, cried Bright Eyes. This dear, delightful place, murmured Downy, with his mouth full of bread and butter. Well, said Uncle Jack, now let us see. It certainly ought to have a name. Oh, of course, said all the mice very decidedly. Suppose we call it the garden house, said Uncle Jack. Oh, no, said Nibble. That isn't jolly enough, Uncle Jacket. It's such a jolly place, you know. I want to call it Jolly Kalu. And then in a chorus rose the five voices, Jolly Kalu, Jolly Kalu. So Jolly Kalu, it was named then and there, and it has been called so ever since. And now, children, said Uncle Jack when breakfast was over, we must go and see how our four-footed friends have passed the night. You may find some new friends too, I think, with two feet. Come, Nibble, Bright Eyes, Puff. Uncle Jack, said Puff very gravely, Fluff and I have not unpacked the dolls yet, and I think it is both of our duty to take care of our children first, before we see the animals. Don't you think so, Uncle? Both of your duty, eh? said Uncle Jack, laughing. Well, Puffsy, perhaps it is. It is also both of your duty to learn grammar, but you need not begin just yet. Off with you. So the twins went one way, and Uncle Jack went the other. Which way shall I take you first, all you other children? Shall we follow the twins first, and take a peep at the dolls? By all means! I cannot say that I care much for dolls myself, but I always like to see what interests children. And certainly Puff and Fluff did take great interest in their china and wax babies. By the by, I shall have some funny stories to tell you about these dolls. For they have seen more of life than any dolls that I have ever known. But we will not stop now for we all want to go see the animals, I am sure. We will just take a peep at them and see what they are like. See, here they are, six of them. 
the one sitting in the chair with curls and flowers, is Vashti Ann. She was the head doll at that time, and a person of great importance. Next to her is Tina, her daughter. A fine baby, rather larger than her mother. And then comes Rosalie, a Swiss doll with fine long hair. The doll in the lower left-hand corner is the unfortunate Sally Bradford, the maid of all work. Next comes Fanny Elser, the dancer. And the last is Katinka, a Polish lady of high rank. The dear little twin mice unpacked all of the creatures with the utmost care. I think they are all ill after the journey, Puff, said Fluffy with a sigh. We was better put them all to bed. Tina is very pale, and Rosalie is very red. Then one has a chill, and the other has a fever, said Puff. Yes, they must go to bed, and I will get the bed ready, Fluffy, if you will read them a story to amuse them. Oh, but Puffy, if you put them both in the same bed, it will be chills and fever, and then we shall catch it and be ill ourselves, exclaimed Fluff with a distressed look. Fluff, said Miss Puff severely, you are sometimes a foolish child. Well, Fluff knew that she was foolish, because she was often told so, and she was a child who always believed what was said to her. So she meekly sat down and read a story to the dolls. It was one of Aunt Bathsheba's stories, and they are so funny that I always write them down when I hear them. Listen to this now. The Pudding Stick and the Rolling Pin Said the pudding stick, so the rolling pin, Let's take a dip in the sugar bin, Said the rolling pin to the pudding stick, We'll eat and we'll stuff till we make ourselves sick. Off they set with a fine bold stride, That brought them soon to the sugar bin's side. Oh, how shall we reach that keyhole high? We might as well try to storm the sky. Let me mount on your shoulder thin, And I'll pick the lock, said the bold rolling pin. The pudding stick swelled with angry pride, that my figure is fine has ne'er been denied. I'll give you a slap for your impudence. Well, said the roller, this is immense. So they rolled and they fought. They thumped and they hit, till they trod on the tail of the cook's pet kit. Then the cook rose up in dreadful wrath and laid them out on the kitchen hearth. There were fine doings in the garden all this time, as I found when I turned my eyes in that direction. Three mice and an uncle. It would not be polite to call Uncle Jack a rat, and yet if a mouse's uncle is not a rat, what is he? I should like to know. And John and Thomas and three dogs and two horses and a donkey. There were enough to make many things lively, you will confess. The dogs interested me particularly, as I have a dog of my own, you know. Ah, he is a good fellow, that dog of mine. His name is Bumfkemagif, and none of you will be able to pronounce that except the children who live in Wales. It is rather a hard name, but he came from the dog star, and the language there is somewhat difficult. Say it to your dogs, however, and see if they do not wag their tails. Yes, they understand each other. Bumfkrumgoth is green, a color that I never see in dogs on your planet. But that may be because he eats so freely of the green cheese which grows here instead of grass. Well, there were three dogs at Jolly Kaloo, as perhaps I said before. There was Gruff, the big dog, and Grim, the middle-sized dog, and Grab, the little dog. Gruff was a fine fellow indeed, a great St. Bernard, clever and good-natured, and certainly with nothing gruff about him except his name and his bark. Indeed, it was well that he was of a cheerful turn of mind, for he had to take a good deal of rough usage, though it was only in play to be sure. Fancy trying to drive three dogs tandem, all of different sizes and dispositions. Yes, if you will believe me, that was what Nibble was trying to do when I looked down into the garden that morning. He had a very nice little cart which Thomas, the gardener, had made for him, and in this he often drove Gruff, 
who did not object at all to being harnessed, and in fact rather enjoyed dragging the children about. But when it came to having two other dogs harnessed in front of him, dogs who could run about twice as fast as he could, and who took a fancy to sit down and scratch their ears just as he started into a good swinging trot. That was rather more than Gruff could endure. But Nibble was full of his new sport. Downy, baby, he cried. Come, Downy, and brother will give you a fine ride. Come along, little man. So Downy came toddling up, and Nibble lifted him into the cart, and then got in himself and took the reins and the whip. Now, Downy boy, you shall have the best ride that anyone ever had. Hi, my gallant steeds! Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer! Oh dear, cried Nibble, I wish I had eight reindeer like St. Nicholas, instead of only three dogs. But still I can say, now dash away, dash away, dash away all! And the young charioteer stood up in the cart and waved the whip round his head, while Downy clapped his hands and shouted with glee. Yes, that was pride, but the fall was also not wanting. Away went the three dogs, poor old Gruff forced into a lumbering gallop by the pace of the two others, who capered along and let the big old dog do all the pulling. Round the house they went once and twice, the little cart rocking from side to side in rather an alarming way. Then, as they came round the third time, they saw a cat. Nibble saw it first, and tried, like a clever mouse he is, to turn his gallant steed's head away before they also saw it. But it was too late. Yap, 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 went little Grab. Woof, woof, added Grim, struggling to free himself from the harness. Good old Gruff held out bravely for a moment or two, but finally he could not resist. A mighty bow, wow, wow, a leap and a plunge, and then for a moment I could see nothing but a cloud of dust, from which came barks and shrieks, which were truly dreadful to hear. In a moment, however, the cart luckily was caught between two bushes, and there it stuck while the dogs rushed to the foot of the nearest apple tree, to leap and howl there in vain excitement, while the peaceful cat smiled at them in safety from the topmost bough. At the moment the explosion took place, two people came upon the scene, one from the barn and one from the house. They were Uncle Jack and Mrs. Posset. The latter had happened to look out of the window just as the grand turnout came round for the third time, and she had flown down the stairs to rescue her downy but arrived only in time to snatch him from the ruins of the cart, very much frightened and covered with dust, and what was worse, with blood, which flowed from a cut in his forehead. As for Uncle Jack, he had been very busy in the barn arranging matters with John, and had supposed that Downy was quite safe with Nibble and Gruff to look after him. "'If you please, sir,' cried Miss Posset in an angry tone, "'what is to be done with Nibble? This blessed child's life is not safe with him for an instant, so it isn't.' Putting three dogs tantrum? Mrs. Posset meant tandem, but she was too much vexed to think about her words. With an innocent baby behind them, and the garden as full of cats as his head is of mischief. And the good woman's breath fairly failed her from haste and vexation combined. Uncle Jack looked very grave as he came up. How did this happen, Nibble? he asked. Mrs. Posset, if you will take Downy into the house and bathe his forehead, I will come in and find some court plaster to put on that cut. Now, my boy he added, turning to Nibble. Tell me all about this. Nibble hung his head and looked very much ashamed. I, I did have them tandem, he said. I never thought of cats. And Downy likes to ride so much. I'm very sorry, Nibble, said Uncle Jack. I certainly thought I could trust you to take care of your little brother for ten minutes. There are plenty of ways of amusing a little child without putting him in danger of his life. 
for Downey might have been very much hurt, perhaps even killed. And then you would never have forgiven yourself. Remember, my boy, that there is a great difference between three years and eight years, and that what may be harmless for you may be very dangerous for your little brother. Indeed, uncle, I am very sorry, said Nibble earnestly, and I will try to be more careful. And what shall I do now, uncle? There isn't any punishment tree here, is there? This question puzzled me at the time, but I found out afterwards that in the place where they had lived before, there was one special tree into which Nibble always had to climb when he had been naughty, and where he had spent many hours of penance. Uncle Jack smiled kindly on the boy, I mean the mouse, and said, I've not found one yet, dear child, but I think that if you were to spend the rest of the morning in the house, and try to console Downy for his bumps and bruises, it would be a very good thing. Nibble looked grave at this. He would have preferred sitting in the tree, and hearing the birds sing, and wondering where their nests might be, and how many eggs there might be in them, to spending the lovely sunny morning in the house. But he went in without a word, remembering that Downy also had to stay in the house through his carelessness, and with aches and pains which he somehow had escaped. He found the baby mouse curled up on the sofa in the library, looking very forlorn, with a handkerchief tied round his head. Mrs. Posset was sitting beside him, reading to him, for though Downy was a very little boy, he was very fond of stories. His eyes brightened when he saw Nibble. Oh, Nibby, he cried, did they catch the cat? Indeed, I hope not, said Mrs. Posset. It is a strange thing in the nature of boys that they like to see cats tormented. But I don't like to see them hurt, Mrs. Posset, said Nibble. It is fun to see them run, but the dogs never catch them, so no harm is done. And it is good for the cats to have a little exercise, I am sure, for they are lazy creatures. Humph! said Mrs. Posset. Well, I am reading to Downy now, Master Nibble, so... Wouldn't you like me to take the book, Mrs. Posset? asked Nibble. I must stay in the house till dinner, and I could read to Downy. Oh, yes, Nibby read, cried Downy. Very well, Master Nibble, and that is just what will please me, for I have not my spectacles by me, and the print troubles my eyes. Besides, the child's clothes are torn to shrivers. This was a pet word of Mrs. Posset's, and I think she must have invented it herself and I must attend to them at once. So Mrs. Posset, with an approving nod, trotted off to the nursery, and Nibble sat down by the sofa. What shall I read, Downy boy? he asked. Weed Pifkin, said Downy very decidedly. Princekin, eh? said Nibble. Well, here it is, so listen. And perhaps if you were to shut your eyes, Downy, you might see some of the pretty things that Princekin saw. So Nibble opened the book from which Mrs. Posset had been reading, and read this little rhyme. Princekin. Princekin sits on his nursery throne, prettiest Princekin all alone, sighing a sigh and moaning a moan. Oh, dear me, oh, Princekin beautiful, Princekin dear, tell us your troubles and do not fear. Nobody come and nobody hear, nobody pay with me, oh. What, no little boys and no little girls to play with Princekin, pearl of pearls? Then lift your head with its crown of curls and we'll do better without, oh. Open the window and call the flowers, birds, and beasts from their trees and bowers to come and play with this prince of ours and make him with laughter shout, Oh! Princekin raises his sapphire eyes, diamond teardrop quickly dries, stares and stares in such great surprise. He doesn't know what to do, oh! In at the window, low and high, hundreds of creatures creep and fly, vines and florets clamoring by, of every shape and hue, oh! Doves are lighting on Princekin's knee. Close in his curls hums a honeybee. 
Roses are climbing around his wee sweet hands for to cling and kiss, oh. Beetles hover on gauzy wing, bluebells, lily bells chime and ring, bullfrogs whistle and robins sing. And see what an owl is this, oh. Squirrel is whispering in his ear, princekin beautiful, princekin dear, leave this stupid closed nursery here, come to the woods with me, oh. Daisy is murmuring at his feet, princekin lovely and princekin sweet, come live with us mid the corn and wheat, out in the field so free, oh. Round they flutter and round they dance, wheel and hover and creep and prance, bird, beast, blossom, all bent on the chance of winning the pearl of boys, oh. Clinging and kissing o'er and o'er, singing, chattering more and more, but oh, who slammed the nursery door and made such a dreadful noise, oh. Princekin sits on his nursery throne, pretty as Princekin all alone, sighing a sigh and moaning a moan. Oh, dear me, oh, had such a bootiful, bootiful pay. No, I not been a seep, I say, and now dem's everyone gone away. Nobody left but me, oh. The nibble stopped reading and closed the book softly, for Downy was just as fast asleep as Princekin had been. That is always the way, he said to himself. I never saw a child sleep so much in the daytime. In fact, there is no use in reading to him unless you want him to go to sleep. But perhaps, he added, that is just what Mrs. Posset did want, and it is the best thing to do when one cannot go out of doors. Hi-ho! How pleasant it is out there. I wonder where Bright Eyes is. She might come in and stay with me, I think, if she knows I am in the house. And Nibble sat down by the window and looked mournfully out into the garden. I also had been wondering where Bright Eyes was, for I had not seen her since breakfast. I was just going to look in another part of the mirror, for I can see the whole of the garden in it, and more, too. When I heard a deep sigh at my elbow, I turned and saw my dog standing by, gazing into the mirror with a very wistful look. I followed the direction of his eyes and saw that the cat was still up in the tree and the dog still at the foot of it. Gruff was tired of jumping, which indeed was not exactly in his lane and had gone quietly to sleep, but Grim and Grab kept up the game, occasionally lying down to rest and take breath, and then going at it again. "'What ails thee, Bumpkamigath?' I asked. "'Doth the sight of other dogs grieve thee?' "'Nay, master,' he answered. "'But, oh, I fain would have a cat to chase. Is there no cat-star, good master, whence thou couldst get me a cat? See now how merry these dogs have been.' "'Truly,' I replied. There is no cat-star, and if there were, thou wouldst be none the better off, for I would not have such noise and strife in my quiet home. Art thou not happy? Here thou hast no work to do, canst eat green cheese all day, if it please thee, and sport with the merry beams which my brother's son sends over. Perhaps thou wouldst like to go back to the dog-star, whence thou camest. There thou hadst work enough and to spare, for thou wast servant to Prince Canis, and he is a hard master and I tipped the mirror so that we could see Sirius, which is the name of that star, and what was going on in it. There sat Prince Canis on his throne, richly dressed. Hundreds of servants bowed before him, or hurried hither and thither to do his bidding. He spoke harshly to them, and flourished a huge whip, which was a scepter, about their ears, making them howl with pain. Wilt thou go back? I asked. Oh, no, no, cried the dog, shrinking back. Tip the glass away, my master, lest he see me and carry me off. I promise thee I will never complain again. That is well, I said, and if thou wants something to chase, thou mayest chase me, though it would not be very exciting. 
So now we will look for Bright Eyes and see what has become of the child. I tipped the glass, and again the garden blossomed before me, sunny and bright, shining with grass emerald and dandelion gold under the drifts of apple blossoms. Yes, it was a pretty sight, and whichever way I may tip my glass, I see no prettier sight than this garden in the spring of the year. End of chapter 4 Recording by Marcus Locke